You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And it is Monday, May 31, 2021. It is Memorial Day. We are going to get into some uh, some heavy topics and some not-so-heavy topics. So one is, I would say it qualifies as heavy. Spousal rape, should it be punished just like non-spousal rape? And, and you may say, well, yeah, of course, and why would anybody disagree? And uh, 38 states would agree with you, but 12 states, including California, say, well, no, it's, it's just not as bad, you know, when a guy rapes his wife as opposed to raping a stranger. The penalties are very different. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk about when a donation to a politician is a bribe as opposed to a perfectly legal donation. We're going to talk about whether driverless car rules are too strict, whether they're invading your privacy by weighing you at the airport for that- safety purposes. And we'll talk a little bit about non-binary discrimination. Uh, By the way, we're also going to finish up a topic we started last week. That is, who are the smartest and dumbest presidents in American history? A very scientific endeavor, and I'm fully in favor. May shock you to hear the answers. And also, we're going to find out uh, there's a wonderful men's health survey. What do uh, who do men think they can defeat in a fist fight? Fantastic. Uh, Lions, geese, other creatures. Now, you may say, what's this got to do, Royal, with uh, the law? Nothing, but boy, it's really an interesting topic. (laughs) So one thing that does have to do with the law is this topic of spousal rape. I mean, you think, you know, COVID and climate change and abortion are tough topics. How about this one? Uh, It turns out California, shockingly, uh, is not in the progressive forefront on this issue. I mean, hundreds of years ago, Connor... Uh, rape uh, of a spouse was not a crime. Yeah. Uh, legally, a woman did not have the legal right. I mean, not even complain. hundreds, but less than that. Maybe so. Maybe so. You're, yeah. you're better off. Uh, you're better at legal history than I am, I think. Uh, women had no right to refuse to have sex with their husbands. Yeah. W- was the deal. And uh, fortunately, that is not the deal in the United States. And, and these are ma- holdovers from a... a, a, a- you know, a different time in our legal history, but they highlight the way that our law... And in law, English history, yes. European, other countries. They highlight the way that our law works. You, you felt There's an old, archaic, bizarre law on the books. You know, no man shall take more than three donkeys across a state line, uh, you know, for illicit purposes or whatever. You have to, you actually <laughs> well, have I don't to, see anything wrong with that law. I think that one <laughs> ought to be re-upped. 
for every state line, yeah, yeah, because yeah. that would not be fair to the donkeys, no, now, it would wouldn't. it? It wouldn't. No, but maybe you, you want to rethink your example yeah, of an archaic stupid law. In order law. to get rid of any archaic law, partially or completely archaic, you need the political will and the time and energy to actually pass a law that changes it and repeals it. Right. There are a bunch of laws on our books that stick around, and this one is one of them, wherein uh, the maximum penalty available for those convicted of spousal rape is not different for those convicted of... Uh, rape of any other person but those convicted of spousal rape currently can be eligible for probation instead of prison and they may not have to register as a sex offender uh depending on the circumstances yeah. and you're and talking about california really weird and this is in california yeah. yes. california is one of a dozen states that kind of go easy right. on the guys who are accused yeah. of raping their wives no... the other 38 states are a little right. bit more progressive now, why would that be why would california which is deep blue yeah why would they be easier on the guys well, in this situation it, I, you know there are a lot of factors going on in this situation but it, the, the, the truth is that California used to be the bellwether state that was at the forefront of every piece of progressive or liberal uh, legislation. Um, that's not been the case in the last 50, you know, 60 years. And that changed as a result of lots of different factors. But part of it is that California is gigantic. It's huge. And there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of money and a lot of interest in all the bills that get passed through uh, Congress. And basically, the state Congress, that is, uh, the the state House is just really busy, I think. Uh, and there's not a lot of political will to make changes uh, to you go back into the sort of the legal archives and dig up the laws that are bad and wrong and, and produce bad well, results. Plus, it, there's so much, as you said, there's so much on the agenda right now. But yeah. I mean, actually, I mean, California, uh, up until the last 20, 30 years ago, it, it was pretty back and forth. I mean, it was fairly conservative, voted for a lot of Republicans over the years. Right. You know, Richard Nixon came out of California. Yeah. Uh, I think people blame Pete Wilson when he was governor for two things. First, he really pushed uh, to get rid of bilingual education. And second, he really pushed an initiative that uh, went after illegal immigrants. Mm -hmm. And basically, the Latino vote which would generally go maybe 40, 45% for Republicans, suddenly is down to 15 or 20%. Right. It was a huge problem for Republicans who have not won a statewide office per, for probably 15 or 20 years. And if you if you take Arnold Schwarzenegger out of the fit, uh, mix, I mean, he's a, he was a Republican, but basically he was a celebrity. Yeah. It's longer than that. So the Democrats have pretty much had their way. But, but as you say, it, it is strange to compare California's uh, attitude toward this uh, with uh, with the rest of the states, and you know, you you made an interesting point there about uh, about the fact that the legislature maybe hasn't caught up with things. I think the lawmakers often are are a little behind. I mean, it used to be illegal to um, to marry somebody who was not a member of your race. Yes, and, and this was on the books. And all sorts of laws against, you know, various sexual activities between right. consenting adults. These were laws on the books. But when the legislators realized, oh, you know, this is from the, like the 17 and 1800s and everybody's laughing at us for yep. still having them on the books, maybe, you know, there is an incentive to, to get rid of them. Right. But, but give me your reaction to this, Connor. This is the explanation of the chair of the California Assembly 
Public Safety Committee for killing the bill that would have equalized penalties for so a spouse. So there was rape. a bill in, yes. that was headed through the legislature, and this prevented it from getting a vote. Right. The the chair, the Democrat chair of the Assembly Public Safety Committee, and of course that's redundant because the chair of every single assembly and California State Senate Committee is, is a Democrat, a Democrat right. because Everyone. they uh, have a supermajority, and, right. e- and even a tiny majority gets you to chair all <laughs> of the committees. So here was his explanation for saying, no, I'm not going to go along with the bill that would equalize penalties for rape of spouses and non-spouses. He said, well, I'm trying to figure out what problem uh, we're here to solve. A police officer can come to the door in a domestic dispute and basically tell a woman, you know, if you tell me he raped you, I can arrest him as a felon and, you know, he'll probably go to prison. That was this assemblyman's excuse for not going along with the same law the other 38 states. Now, do you see any justification for this? How can this guy defend himself? uh, If the guy... It, it, the guy can't defend himself. There is no reasonable explanation. This is simply uh, a, a, a knee-jerk reaction in response to don't change something. And that is really the key here. When you have a party, uh, 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 the Democratic Party, that, that controls the state of California so completely, there inevitably becomes uh, – uh, it, it becomes – a two parties in one. It splits down the middle. And those people who would ordinarily, in, in most other states and situations, have been uh, on the right called reactionaries or conservatives who want to maintain the status quo, they become the right wing of the Democratic Party. And those who want, you know, progressive ideals uh, go to the left wing of that party. And when you know, you see this one party stranglehold, it inevitably splits, fractures the party. And the California Democratic Party is split in that way. And the division is only going to get deeper and, and stronger um, as uh, as people who would not ordinarily have been either Dem- uh, been a Democrat. Uh, they would have been a Republican in any other state, mm-hmm. join the Democratic Party because it's the only way to gain political power. And people who would have been progressives in other uh, situations, had there been an opportunity for a third party progressive party, join the Democrats and, and attempt to wield political power for progressive ends for the same reason. And so when we see this, we look, how, how could this blue state do this? It's not a matter of a blue state. If uh, if the, the state were less blue, and in fact, it were a closer uh, tie between blue and red, and more of these uh, conservative Democrats, blue dog Democrats, or whatever you want to call Purple. them. Purple. Sure, purple Democrats. If more of them were on the side of the Republican Party, but they were just sort of barely losing, then you would have a sort of more pure, ideologically blue, uh, more liberal, more progressive Democratic Party that when it took power would enact more progressive policies. But instead, the Democratic Party in California has power in effectively all situations uh, or most the vast majority of situations. And then when they do, uh, of course, their sort of ideology is infected by the moderates. Now, is that always a bad thing? No. Sometimes it's a good thing to have moderates in your party uh, who, you know, argue for reasonable moderation or represent the views of the other side or make sure that the mi- uh, the, min- uh, the, the minority um, voting block in the in the uh, in your state feels represented and says, oh, yeah, OK, maybe the Democrats are in power right now and I might call myself a conservative or Republican, but they're not going crazy, not doing anything too wild. So I could see the argument for having more for having some moderates in your party. I personally am such a progressive that I want extremely big changes. And now, uh, so I, of course, want more progressive representatives. And I see this problem of the Democratic Party because it has such a stranglehold on state level elections most of the time. Uh, I see it as a problem, a, a, a bigger bug than a feature. But I can see why 
uh, this sort of thing happens. I think this is a symptom, and I think this is part of why it's a it's a problem. It's because you end up with everybody in elected office having to be a Democrat, and then there's no easy way for voters to say about a guy like this or the guy who they voted into place that you know nominated this guy if he's not an elected position. Uh, hey, this guy's not on my end of the political spectrum. This guy's got some weird reactionary ideas. I don't like this weirdness that he's talking about with spousal rape being different in some way. Obviously, rape is rape done. That's it. Wash your hands of it. That's It's easy. Change the law. So his comments, the chair of this assembly committee, did not go over well with a lot of people who were pushing to change the antiquated state law. The mm-hmm. first black woman to lead the California National Organization for Women chapter said uh, to suggest that the police could get black women to lie to put black men in jail. Oh, my goodness. That's ridiculous. Anyway, when did the police start believing black women? So she was not impressed with his rationale. It wouldn't have been either. Hey, when we come back, we're going to answer the uh, burning question. When is a donation to a politician a bribe that will land you in prison? But first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe the podcast. Yeah, it really helps. Every single uh, like or rate or share uh, helps out a lot. So go to the platform that you use to get your podcasts, uh, like Spotify or Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, whichever one it is. Uh, and leave us a review, a little star, leave us a little comment so we can see uh, what you like and what you don't about the show, and uh, maybe even share the episode with a friend. We'll be right back. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy Lawrence. And I'm Connor Rose. So when is a donation to a politician actually a bribe? we got some charges pending against um, some Los Angeles folks. The ex-Deputy Mayor Raymond Chan and ex-City Councilman Jose Huizar. They're uh, going up uh, for bribery charges, going to trial. By the way, speaking of uh, ex-Deputy Mayor Connor, uh, he's probably really mad that he uh, got into hot water because the real mayor is about to go off to India, I believe. Uh, our Mayor Eric Garcetti is apparently going to be nominated by President Biden to be ambassador to India. Oh, wow. That's and a big ambassadorship. It is. You know, and I was just wondering, and I understand. I wonder if he speaks Hindi. Uh, I bet he doesn't, or any of the other 87 dialects right, in, that they in the nation. need to know, yeah. Uh, you know, there are um, a lot of people, of course, both parties, every administration's the same. If you are a big donor, you're going to get an ambassadorship. Right. You know, Luxembourg or Liechtenstein or someplace. One of these cushy gigs, yeah. yeah. If you're the ambassador to, oh, I don't know, Russia, China, India, 
Uh, wouldn't you really need, to, not necessarily to know the language, yeah. but to know diplomacy and foreign policy right, and right, basically right. have toiled in the vineyards of this field yeah. of endeavor for yeah. like your whole life because it's really important. So why is Eric Garcetti, who knows about a, as much about India as Hunter Biden knew about energy when he went on the Burisma board in the Ukraine, why would he be rewarded? Why can't Biden find some job where he'll do less harm? That's Isn't India really, really important? You know, I yes. I'll say that India being a largely English-capable uh, country, uh, shocking for its its uh, area of the world, but not its its political history. It well, if you go by the, the help uh, operators for your computer, absolutely, they're right. better at English than I am. Yeah, and and uh, as a result of their English proficiency, India has done extremely well in converting a large portion of its agricultural uh, sector to a service economy, um, services that can be done uh, over the phone, and also exporting a ton ton of high skill. Uh, uh, knowledgeable uh, workers out to other countries. Uh, so the, the Indian diaspora is very well educated and, and you know, uh, brings a lot of money back to the country. So it's, it's a country where you probably doesn't, is it not actually necessary to speak the language? Because, yeah, there are 12, 27 or 87 dialects anyway. So uh, English is going to be the lingua franca. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Berlitz is, is yeah. Garcetti's solution. I'm suggesting should, a complete you know, yeah. body transfer should, and mind transfer should, is what he's going to need. Should, should Eric Garcetti be the ambassador to India? Frankly, ambassadorships, unless this is a country where we're at war with them, ambassadorships to allies are probably just kind of cushy positions where we don't do that much anyway. You know, I disagree with you. If his dad, Gil, couldn't convict O.J. Simpson, I'm not going to trust Eric Garcetti with India. I mean, this That's is That's just not, how I feel. Th this is this is the sort of thing where the, the Democratic Party establishment, uh, and sorry, I guess Joe Biden probably had some input on it, um, not is, necessarily. is that, you know, he they're, they're grooming this guy for future national uh, political success. So they want Eric Garcetti Garcetti to be yeah, it is going to gonna burnish his foreign right. policy credentials. You put it, I'll put you on your resume. You President might, Garcetti, right? Absolutely, President Garcetti in ten years, and he's not going to forget years. the stuff I've said. About no, yeah, it. yeah, he's going to bring the hammer talk. down on you. So we digress. We were talking about when is a political donation a bribe, and sure. the ex deputy mayor Raymond Chan is accused of bribery. It's a really tough thing to prove, and to to know why you have to go back a few decades to the United States Supreme Court when they said, well, in 1991, in the McCormick versus United States case, they, they put a real high bar there for proving bribery. And here, bribery, here were the facts. Okay. There was a lobbyist uh, that rolls up to a West Virginia lawmaker, and the lobbyist says, oh, you know, I represent the graduates of foreign medical schools, and, you know, they have to practice a whole year um, uh, before they can, you know, be true doctors, and, and you ought to ease the restrictions and make it life easier for foreign medical students, mm -hmm. okay? Right. And nothing happens. A year goes by, and the lawmaker calls the lobbyist, and he says, quote, hey, I haven't heard anything from you, close quote. That afternoon, twenty nine hundred dollars in cash arrive at the lawmakers uh, arrives at the lawmakers office. Interesting. A few months later, the lawmaker sponsors a law. My colleagues, I believe you should make it easier for foreign medical students to uh, do whatever they want. Uh, so right. please vote for my bill. Yeah. And of course. Uh, a few months later, he sponsored a second, even better bill for the foreign medical students. And he gets even more money from the uh, lobbyist. But there were time delays. He's convicted of extortion. 
the U.S. Supreme Court reverses his conviction, saying serving constituents is the everyday business of a legislator. It's only extortion if the payments are made in return for an explicit promise by the lawmaker to do something, to vote a certain way. Incredibly high bar. So difficult to find an explicit promise and not just find an explicit promise, but find a paper trail of it or someone willing to testify about that explicit promise, because anybody willing to testify about the explicit promise was probably in the room and thus was probably also in on the scheme and is benefiting from it might go to jail where it happened like how is it gonna you're never gonna find that i mean it's just an incredibly high bar for political uh corruption to be you know discovered and it's part of the culture that we put up with this stuff for example california even has a way for lawmakers to make the first move it's called a behested payment where a politician asks a company that has business before the politician to pay money to the politician's pet worthy cause a charity or even their re-election campaign so at my behest would you give money this is legal so even if lucrative contracts then go to the donor if there's a decent interval of time or if there's no quid pro quo then you can't convict the person uh, of uh, of bribery. So, right. you know, I think the answer is to enforce the quid pro quo laws even more strictly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, it gets back to a very basic argument about, you know, the very controversial um, decision out of the United States Supreme Court, Citizens United, yes. where the question was, well, you know, who really should be allowed to even give money? Should it right. be corporations? Should it be unions? Should there be restrictions on it? The problem is if you're going to make any reforms. It has to basically start with the legislators, and they're the ones that benefit from the old Jess Unruh saying money is the mother's milk of politics. Absolutely. I mean, the idea behind our current campaign finance system in this country is money is speech, totally equivalent, no disconnect between the two, no worry about what it means uh, to have money be speech one-to-one, direct, perfect relationship, when in fact, you know, a very basic, you know, rumination on the topic, just just the most base, just absolutely the most base level day one of kindergarten level of analysis here is <laughs> if money is speech, what are the implications of that? Well, I don't know. Maybe people with more money get more speech. Huh. Is that a problem? Is that just a teeny tiny little itsy bitsy bit of a problem we should maybe think about in some way? Well, people with more money don't get more votes. So why would people with more money get more speech? Do we do anything at all to counteract the fact that if, say, a million dollars that you want to pump into our political system is more impactful than a second vote for president? which it is, obviously, maybe we should put some sort of limit on campaign spending or election spending or lobbying or whatever else such that we pull in and decide what the dollar amount of an extra vote is. What is it worth? What does our society say you should be able to donate before we say, look, you don't just have one vote for president here. You effectively have two votes for president because of how much you are donating to this system. And then we can maybe zoom back and compare those two and say, okay, well, somebody who wants to hand out flyers on with their own labor on the on a street or, or shout through a megaphone at a uh, at an elected official as their limo, limousine drives by maybe that gives you a second vote's worth of impact on an election and maybe we can start to quantify what people should and shouldn't be allowed to do with money in politics but instead we just throw up our hands because we're the supreme court and we say citizens united is the decision the law of the land it says that money is speech we don't think about any implications or outcomes no matter what so let's switch gears and talk about driverless cars. Can't now, wait. now, was that 
literally a switching of gears, or was that figuratively? That was a switching good. That was a good gears? segue. I, this is a this so is a thorny question, question for yeah. you, yeah. Because you know how I feel when people emphasize and they they really really mean something. They say, "Well, it, literally, he, he literally yeah. tore a hole, and, and he, yeah, didn't, yeah, yeah. he didn't actually yeah. tear a hole in, in, in the fabric of the universe." Yeah, yeah. So was it was that literally a uh, a change of gears when I, think I said, was, "Let's talk about driverless cars." I think it was figurative. Hard to wrap your head around it. It is. So why do I want to talk about driverless cars? Because Teslas are so fun. We we saw uh, Evan, uh, what's his name, uh, the, the Tesla owner, Elon Musk. Elon Musk. He was the host of Saturday Night Live recently. So fun. And they're driverless cars. What a great thing. Yeah. That's what they offer. It seems almost too good to be true. You slide into your car. You say hi to Siri or Alexa or whatever. <laughs> Sultry uh, Cyber Gal is helping. Her you. name is Elena. Uh, okay, Elena. she's not, but it should be because yeah, his you name say, is Elon. You know, I'd like to be like Donald Trump. Just take me to Mar-a-Lago, and I'm going to sit here in the back seat of the car. Sure. That's what Mr. Param Sharma did, owner of a Tesla sedan up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And it turned out it was too good to be true. He spotted Sharma rolling along in his Tesla in the back seat. And in his defense, the car was doing pretty well. It was staying between between the lines. Uh, The problem is there was this fussy website Tesla has. This is the car's intended for use with a fully attentive driver. And you're supposed to, you know, have your hands gripping the steering wheel with some sort of a, a, a death grip, which is ridiculous because, I mean, if I'm going to pay that money for a, a Tesla, uh, I mean, <laughs> you, you know, and a cop hassles me, I'm going to say, look, pal, Hassle. I've got a Sudoku to do here right. and the latest Malcolm Gladwell book, so screw you. I'm going to sit in the back seat. But this guy's going down for uh, for reckless driving. Yeah. Don't you think it's unfair to prosecute poor Mr. Sharma for this? So it is unfair in a very big, broad, vague sense that people are being misled by Tesla and other companies about what the capabilities of the products they're spending all this money are. But it's not unfair because once you really get down to it, if you put this money down and you actually get out there on the road, there is a lot. Every car company does a good job of covering their own butt. They might call it autopilot. They might call it driver assistance or lane assistance or whatever they call it. But they will drill into you over and over again. This is not a piece of technology you can actually put your life in uh, in its hands and depend on it. You are the backup. You are the or the primary driver, rather. And that's really the danger is that if you let humans um be inattentive for any portion of driving they become inattentive for almost all portions of driving as opposed to letting chimpanzees be inattentive yeah well you're right humans humans share this problem with all chimpanzees probably algae and crabs as well all living creatures is if they lose focus on something it's really hard to snap back in and get focus again so driverless car advocates people who say that the technology will get there eventually uh, have actually classified this as sort of a general broad framework of five levels of driverlessness of a car. You start out with one is the most mild assistance that a car could give for you. Maybe it you know, throws on the brakes if it thinks an accident is about to happen for some reason. But other than that, just leaves you alone. And then five, fully autonomous. You can just get in the backseat and take a nap. You're not involved at all. But along the way, but until we get to five level technology, if we ever do, which we should probably, but, but if we ever do, um, there's two and then three and then four, and they slowly add they have different definitions of how much assistance it's giving you. And in that middle ground, that interim period, the more 
the car takes away from the human in terms of necessity of attention paying constantly, the more the human inevitably begins to rely on it and becomes a worse backup plan. Not just if you're taking a nap. Say you're sitting there trying to be attentive, but the car is handling the speed. And the car is making sure you don't veer out of your lanes. And the car is checking your blind spots before you change lane. At a certain point, your brain just, you start thinking about baseball or the Queen of England or whatever else. And then when the car says, ah, there's an emergency, my software can't deal with this please take over and deal you look up you can run tests on humans if you give us a a a tableau to monitor when something weird pops up that's dangerous our eyes jump to it instantly because it's new and different novel and we've been looking at the background and then boom something changes if you give us instantly a whole tableau and we have to take the entire thing in and decide in an instant what is this new thing and which which thing on the in front of my eyes is dangerous and what do i have to react to we're super bad at that we're like a hundred times worse at that we're so slow at looking up at the through the windshield at the first time and saying, oh God, what? which of these cars is doing something weird and dangerous? As opposed to, I've been paying attention, suddenly something changes, that's easy. So driverless cars, until we get to that magical fifth level where they actually handle everything, we get more and more and more dangerous until we take over to the perfect. Uh, and, and in the meantime, uh, we, we should let the perfect be the enemy of the good here. We can't let ourselves get more and more and more reckless and dangerous uh, because in the interim, the computer can't handle everything. Until the computer can handle everything, the computer probably shouldn't be able to handle much. I'm concerned that, you know, the oligarchs, the social media, uh, Silicon Valley oligarchs who control everything. And, and now they're, of course, censoring the Internet. If, if something is inappropriate, then we just don't get they're not. I'm worried. Okay. I'm not. I'm worried, Connor, that I'm going to be in my driverless car and a voice, Siri is going to come on and say, uh, you've been listening to the collected uh, speeches of Ted Cruz for the last eight hours. You will no longer be allowed to do that. I mean, she, she'll she just tell me. For your own good. For my own good. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, when we come back, if you've had a little pandemic weight gain, I wouldn't go to LAX if I were you because you may be turned away in a very embarrassing manner. So stay tuned for that. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, Connor, you've uh, kept yourself pretty darn fit oh, during thank the you. pandemic. A lot of folks, however, you know, the freshman five or 15, whatever that sure. expression was, yeah. you go to college and, and you pick out. A lot of folks have packed it on pretty well during the pandemic. And um, guess what? Uh, it could be a problem when you go to the airport. The quarantine 15. Yeah. If you've ever flown in a small commuter airline, then you know there's this awkward ritual arranging the passengers in the fuselage by, shall we say, heft. 
So who knew that big jets care about your weight as well? Were you aware of the fact that it's it's a factor? Not as a safety factor. I, oh, I did know yeah. that it would take more fuel, but if more pounds are riding, that's risky. It's okay. True. So the FAA is working on a plan, Connor, to put plus-size passengers on the scale at the airport. I'm not making this up. This That's is going to be an awkward for conversation. Real. You know, better safe than sorry. Some travelers will just be quizzed about their weight, not actually weighed. And, and the FAA, this is fun, the FAA counsels the airlines, you better add 10 pounds to the guests, you know, for clothing. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. For right. clothing. For clothing, right. yeah. But this plan, it's not without empathy. What they say is that the weighing sessions of some folks will be held away from the prying eyes of the more svelte passengers, you know, behind mm. closed door. And all the weight data, Connor, will be strictly confidential. You know, okay. Because we don't want a hippo, a HIPAA violation. Look, <laughs> Look we've got... A uh, situation where they're already uh, using... Some people laugh when I tell a joke. Other people <laughs> pause. You're a pauser. That's okay. Every, different strokes yeah, for different yeah, folks. Yeah, yeah. When I go to the airport, I step into the uh, millimeter wave body scanner, <laughs> and they look fully at my genitals anyway. That's wrong. So... How much worse is it really for them to be collecting weight data data and charging me more or even just rearranging seats on the plane or whatever? Uh, I mean, it's I feel like it's the same thing. We already give up so much of our freedom and, and that is our right to privacy in the form of freedom um, or vice versa. When we fly, this seems just like uh, the next natural step. Um, is it necessary? I don't know that it's suddenly become necessary for some reason. I don't know why the FAA would say that now, as opposed to last year, where there are a bunch of crashes because we under-guessed under yeah. uh, passengers' weight. I don't think so. Yeah, it doesn't seem You're intellectualizing this. I, I am. I would rather, yeah. I would rather we... I, I may be a progressive, but I would say in in this one sphere, I don't think we need to change things yet. So speaking of progressive views, um, we now really ought to talk about a non-binary victory uh, recently over in England. Okay. In the pantheon of woke beliefs, uh, I think that close to the top of the list is the idea that some people are non-binary. You know, it's the old-fashioned idea, you're either male or you're female. Well, forget about it. Facebook, Connor, gives you 58 gender choices. Did you know that? That's right. 58. Nice. There's gender fluid. There's pangender, there's sure. transsexual person, there's two-spirit, and 54 more, okay? Nice. So that's the modern way. All right. So it wasn't it a shock. Seems pretty painless to put more in a drop-down, yeah. Sure. It wasn't a shock when a British railway got into a heap of trouble recently when mm -hmm. the conductor got on the PA system and announced, Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Well. Well. Two, ironically, two non-binary people. Mm -hmm. Consider the, the chances of that emailed Pretty the high. CEO, right. and they were really pissed, and the CEO was totally on their side. He made a big apology and so on, and, and he said, we're never going to call you people, you people, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, again, because I, that's clearly, I mean, that, that may be four out of 58. That leaves a whole lot of folks untouched. I guess, I guess this is a problem that solved itself then. Not everybody's happy. There was a member of parliament who stood up and said, Identify however you like, but can we stop this nonsense? So he was a fuddy-duddy. Yeah. You know, he's one of the old-fashioned yeah. guys. I think it was James Mason because Probably. that sounded a lot. It was a really Did, good James Mason impression. Oh, yeah. no, I wasn't going oh, for it. Maybe but you it played some up. sound. It was actually a clip of Could James be. Mason. I think Could it be. might have been. Yeah, yeah that's like uh, deep fake stuff. <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, so I suppose that, uh, that you think that this was uh, not an overreaction. You think this is an appropriate response by the railway. I think that... Isn't uh, it going to make them late for their, their stop? I mean, because if they wait for all 58 genders to be identified, you're going to be past Willoughby. Yeah. So true. you can't throw yourself into Excellent the snow. Twilight Zone yeah. reference. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be good. all the way up to Edinburgh, sure. right? It when d- the guy quits, ah, number 58, pan-gender. Okay, seems, welcome. Uh, huh? It seems pretty painless to say something like, folks instead oh sure. might even be faster intellectualize this one as well might even you? be faster okay. i don't know it just seems like a problem that solves itself and accommodates uh people's uh, uh individual uh, individuality and uh, sensitivity without actually harming anybody at all so we promised to f- close the loop on the survey of the smartest and dumbest presidents oh, and can't last wait. week can't we, wait. last week we mentioned a few but i want to go through most of the ones that people uh, really care about uh and this may be surprising to you let me know if you think this is a shocker uh, and we mentioned last week the smartest president of all john quincy adams son of john adams iq of 169 so very sharp guy sure now thomas jefferson who's came in number two of a list of all presidents this shouldn't be a surprise i mean he was like this renaissance guy uh, writes the declaration of independence architecture surveyor mathematician uh, iq of 154 i mean mm. he's not up there with john q adams yeah, but yeah, he's number not. two yeah. uh with a bullet john kennedy number three he was 153 sure. iq and some people said he didn't even write plurifiles of courage this tells us he probably did, probably oh, God, did he's yeah smart enough to write a book sure bill clinton is pretty well up there 149 he's number Ooh, four out of all the fun. presidents uh woodrow wilson and Jimmy Carter tied at 145. Jimmy Carter was a nuclear submarine engineer. He, he called it nuclear, which I think takes 10 IQ points off. off. Yeah, so only we're gonna, in We're going to give him yes, 135 absolutely. instead of 145. Mm-hmm. John Adams, the resentful father, only 142. Shame. Must have been pretty pissed about the little guy beating him out there. Teddy Roosevelt, uh, very bright at 142. Abe Lincoln, 140. Franklin Roosevelt. Well, hold on, hold on. What yes, about 141? Yes. Chuck E. Cheese had an IQ of 141 and thus was smarter than Abe Lincoln when he was president. Who's Chuck E. Cheese? I don't... The rat, who was the... The, the representative of the Chuck E. Cheese restaurants, the oh. children's restaurants where they play games and you get tickets. He was president of the United States and he had an IQ of 141. I was unaware of Oh, that. did I just make all that up? Just like the people, authors of this list made up oh. every single element of You're this list? You're intellectualizing every story yeah. we talk about. <laughs> Connor, I'm sure that even if they didn't have Zachary Taylor sit for an IQ test right. with a number two pencil, right. they've studied all of his writings and his speeches. Can't social scientists and psychologists infer social from all the... Uh, evidence the the voluminous evidence of a, of a presidential uh, thought process right. yeah, yeah, and yeah. come up with a non-arbitrary iq no and it's so fun to they go can't. through this list they can't because they can't even have me sit for an iq test <laughs> and come up with a non-arbitrary determination of intelligence now it's actually impossible because intelligence is like 50 different factors and has nothing to do with how well you can you know find the area uh, inside a circle or whatever on Chucky the test cheese. or match pattern recognition or know who Chuck E. Cheese is or whatever else. It's really, really hard to measure intelligence. And the idea that we go back in history and write fan fiction about which of our presidents are our favorite because of the books that they wrote or the speeches that they gave and then claim that there's some objective number that represents intelligence in this crazy, mixed up, complicated world is complete hogwash. Oh, Please well, continue. Then, <laughs> Connor, Connor is going to put his fingers in his ears for the next 15 seconds no, as I'm I gonna conclude enjoy the list. Oh, okay. okay. Franklin Roosevelt, uh, number Ooh. 13 at 139. George Washington, 
132 IQ. Dwight Eisenhower, 131. Dick Nixon, also 131. Oh, tricky That's Dick. fun. Isn't that a coincidence? Eisenhower and Nixon, running mates of the same exact IQ. Huh. Uh, George H.W. Bush, dad, 130. Ronald Reagan, 130. Herbert Hoover, uh, not smart enough to prevent a depression. He was 129. Lyndon Johnson, 128. Harry Truman, 128. Calvin Coolidge, 127. He was smart enough to get out when the getting was good. Gerald Ford, 127. William Howard Taft, 126. George W. Bush, 125. And the lowest of them all, Ulysses S. Grant. He won the huge Civil War for us. I think we can forgive him that he was only 120 IQ. You know what's really impressive to me? I was able to read off that list. Isn't IQ supposed to? Yeah, it was good. Uh, You must have 150 IQ. Uh, Isn't IQ supposed to be average, supposed to be 100? Yes, it is. So you're saying what are the odds that, that every single president, every president was 20 points plus above average? Well, wouldn't you think you'd have to be really smart to climb that political mountain all. and become a president? No, sometimes you're just you the pointing, son of a are president. You pointing to Donald Trump there or George W. Bush. Yeah, well, the son of the president was the smartest of them all, John Quincy Adams. Extremely arguable. Mm-hmm. I, but but really, like, what are the odds that there's not a single mm-hmm. president? who was below average intelligence. And not only just below average intelligence, but every single one of them was more than 20 points above. That's a huge, huge difference. If you think that's ridiculous, let's turn to our very last story. And that is, how often would a man win in a fistfight against various animals? Now, there was a survey done by uh, uh, YouGov America, and it was reported in Men's Health, that very intellectual magazine. It was a survey of 1,200 men asking, uh, could you win a fistfight? with various animals and sure. the responses are, American men. are astounding yeah. 26% of, of American men felt that they could defeat an elephant in a fist fight excuse me 26%. what kind of moron much less 26% of us thinks that he could take an elephant an elephant would laugh swing his trunk knock your head off of your <laughs> neck and then stomp you if and if the elephant wanted me to kill it and somehow like just did everything. Yeah, it you'd have to do. have the IQ of John Q. Adams. <laughs> Every, he did. If the elephant did whatever he or she could to help me kill it, I would still be unable to kill an elephant with my bare hands. Well, you, th- you think that's bad. 26% of men idiotically think they could uh, kill an elephant. 27% they think they could beat a grizzly bear. A freaking grizzly bear, Incredible. Connor. Yeah, grizzly I, bear could tear the door off a car with one paw. Yep, yep. Tigers, 30% of men think they could beat a tiger. What is, what is, and 32% a lion and 31% hippos. I mean, none of us could take any hippo, no matter how fat. (laughs) Correct. Any lion or any tiger. Have you seen any Tarzan movies? Clearly not. What's wrong with them? The only explanation is that they misunderstood the question and thought we were talking about animal crackers. Which animal (laughs) cracker animals could they defeat? I don't think so. I think they're just stupid. I think they're below the average IQ of the presidents. (laughs) Oh, and if you think uh, the the Tarzan reference was appropriate for lion, crocodiles, 33% of Americans a man, one out of three, think they could take a crocodile. Dear God. Amazing. <laughs> oh, and a polar bear. 36% of them think they could beat a polar bear in a fist fight. Incredible. <sighs> 46% think they could beat a king cobra. So that's pretty much a toss-up. 46 That's maybe, like 50-50. Maybe they think king cobra doesn't have hands, no fists for yeah, a that's fist true. fight. I automatically that's true. win. If you had an axe, maybe you could beat the king cobra. Oh, amazing. A walrus, 64% think they could beat a walrus. Now, I think it would be generous for me to think I could beat could a just polar go bear. Eviscerate you. If I was driving a Sherman tank, 
a polar bear and I would be about 50-50, I think. So I think that might be where they're coming from. Maybe they thought they got to bring a Sherman tank to this fight. Now, here's my favorite. 86% of American men think they could kill a goose in a fist fight. Uh, that means 14% of guys think they'd lose to a goose. <laughs> Is there something wrong with American men? I hope the Russians don't read this survey. I know they don't listen How to this so podcast, so we're directions. safe there. And finally, the last one. This is maybe the weirdest one of all. 87% of American men think that they could beat a man, an unarmed human, in a fistfight. Ah. Now, why would you think that you could best 87% of your fellow men? For one thing, what if he's Jack Reacher? Yeah. Uh, sure. Have you seen the well, movie? That's the 14%. Have you seen the movie with Tom Cruise where he plays no, Jack Reacher? Oh, it's, it's a fantastic movie. movie. Not to, I don't want to spoil it, but the very first scene of the and movie. He punches a bunch of people. Yes, nice. exactly. So Jack Reacher is in a bar and he's talking to a woman and he insults the woman and what? she tells she tells her boyfriend, "I believe that man over there has insulted my honor and I've got the vapors." Wow. And so the guy comes up to to uh, Tom Cruise, "Hey, Tom, you're in trouble now. We're going to meet with you out in the in Parking the alley." Lot. Yeah. So they go out and there's six of them surrounding him nice. and so tom cruise looks at them and he says okay guys uh this is your chance to walk away and save all of your teeth and your eyeballs and so on because i'm telling you you know you're all kicking going butts down. yeah and and again the leader says oh really oh, how really? are you gonna do that tom yeah. Yeah. didn't say tom how you can do that jack, <laughs> jack if that's your name which turned out to and be tom very lucky explains he says well here's the deal i i figure out who the leader is uh, nice. probably you Steve. i take him out first sure. and then at the same time i take the guy to the left and i flip the guy to the right and and so that's how it's going to go down. That's how you guys and they're all Great. giggling, you know, <laughs> and they, of course, he does exactly, exactly that. And it's, that. A, it's almost as satisfying as the first few moments of Terminator where yeah. Schwarzenegger shows up and kicks ass at, at the Griffith Park Observatory. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing. Now that I think about it, what did those guys in all that leather at the Griffith Park Observatory do to Terminator? Did, did he need to kick their butts? Were they just wearing leather and look like He tux? just doesn't like punk music. That's it, yeah. Okay. Nobody likes punk music likes in the punk future. Music. Punk music is Don't dead. Doggone it, Connor. We actually got through our agenda this I'm time. I'm impressed. I'm impressed wow. with both of us. Next week, all our favorite punk music songs. Uh, both of them. We'll see you next time on Too Many Lords. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.